Hey, I'm Stephen Hovatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10, 15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. This broke last week while I was preaching, and I could not fix it because I was preaching. And I just tried to deal with it, and I'm going to do it this time because... It annoyed me the whole time last week. Is that okay with you? All right, so we're going to start over in about three seconds, okay? Here we go. All right. Good morning. It really is. Um, I have to say, uh, you know, you have uh, sometimes you have sermons that you really look forward to. Um, and that when I, when I sit down and I have a, a schedule of here's what's coming up, and sometimes I think, oh, man, I just, I just almost circle one on a calendar and think that is the one that I'm really excited about. Um, and that's next week's. Um... <laughs> this week's not so much. Um, this is one of the weeks that I looked at and I came to it and I thought, you know, it seemed like a good idea at the time. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Because what I want us to talk about today is something that ends up being a little painful. And I wish it were not so. But it is unavoidable. So we might as well just pull the Band-Aid off and get right to it. Because today what I want us to think about as we've been studying the way of the cross, the way of the cross of Jesus and all that it means for us to be people who are disciples, who are following Jesus together on the way of the cross. One of the painful things that we must grapple with is that the way of the cross traces the path of ignorance. And I wish it were not so. But the way that the Gospels, all four of the Gospels, talk about the story of Jesus' cross, they describe that story in a way that repeatedly, like an unending barrage, confronts our presumption of knowledge with the reality of human ignorance. The story of the cross all through the path that will lead Jesus there is full of people who think they know, but in reality, they don't know. They just don't know. And for us in our society in which we certainly prize knowledge, we um, love information. We're in a, a position in which we, we live in what is sometimes called the information age, or at least we used to. I think we might be living in the misinformation age now. But we have prized understanding and knowledge. And we've organized our world such that we can find knowledge at our fingertips, encyclopedic knowledge, in order to prevent that 
saying that we avoid at all costs? I don't know. I don't know. And that phrase is deadly in certain circles saying, I don't know, will get you made fun of. In certain circles, it'll get you fired. But it always is something that we resist saying. From the very beginning, in the story of the Garden of Eden, wasn't it that saying, if you take from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Then you will know. God knows that you'll become like him, knowing good difference between good and evil. And we said, we, not just two people living a long time ago, we humans said, oh, yes, please. We want to be in control of knowledge. We want to be the ones who know all the difference. Now, I know already that I'm walking a very fine line because isn't knowledge and understanding and wisdom, aren't those things something to be pursued? Yes or no? I know it feels like a trap, but what do you think? I think so. I think so. I think it's something to be pursued. And yet at the same time, the great irony is that the pursuit of wisdom and understanding involves first reckoning with the fact that you don't know. You have to admit you don't know before you can learn, right? As long as you think you already know, you can't, you can't learn. Ignorance is a prerequisite for learning. And I know that there is a, uh, the fine line between just throwing our hands up and shrugging and say, ah, I guess we just can't figure that one out, which seems to me to be a little fatalistic and it seems to kind of smack of not trying and putting in the effort, right? And then on the other side, acting like you are full of knowledge, acting like you do have everything figured out. There's some space in between there that is, I think, profoundly healthy, where we both are seeking understanding and yet honestly confessing the limit of the understanding that we already have. And I think the story of the cross welcomes us into that space. Over and over, the story of Jesus's crucifixion begs us to recognize the limit of understanding, even for people who should have known, right? Starts off with the disciples, and we talked about in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to trace back some things that we've done and kind of seize this theme in those. We started with the, the Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you remember, there's kind of two stories there. It's Jesus surrendering himself to what is coming and also asking his disciples to prepare themselves for what they're about to face. And what is it they do while Jesus goes back to the Garden three times to pray? 
Go to sleep. Yes. <laughs> and the text, look in uh, Matthew, or uh, I'm sorry, the Gospel of Mark in chapter 14. Part of it is that Jesus tries to like tell them about it. He's trying to inform them. He's trying to give them a hint so they won't be bound by their ignorance. Remember, he says to Peter, could you not keep awake one hour? That's verse 37 of Mark chapter 14. Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial for the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's partly saying to Peter, don't you understand the testing or rather you don't understand the testing that you're about to face? If Peter was fully aware, if he fully understood, he wouldn't be asleep. Looking, he goes again and he says he prays, saying the same words. Verse 40, and once more he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to say to him. They had no idea. Here in this moment, his disciples, the people who knew him best, who had spent years under his instruction, in this critical moment, they didn't know what to say. They had come past the boundaries of their own understanding. And here they are in that space where they just have to look face to face with Jesus. I don't know. I don't know. Beyond that, of course, we have the story of the betrayal of Jesus. And we talked about how Judas himself and of course, the other disciples are part of this. But if we take the story of Judas, Judas himself goes and makes a deal with the Jewish powers of that of the religious powers. And in that he agrees to betray Jesus for a sum of money. And then after he does. Matthew tells the story like this in Matthew, chapter 27, verse three and following. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned. He repented and he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And then the story is that Judas goes on from there and ends his own life. But isn't this an incredible admission that Judas didn't understand how this whole thing was going to go? I mean, it's this moment where Judas, after having betrayed Jesus, sees how the story develops from then. And it's almost like he ends up having this moment where he says, I, I had no idea it was going to go this way. And we can very easily look at that and we can say, what was what was he thinking? He's surprised that Jesus is condemned. What did you what did Judas think? We don't know what he thought was going to happen. Judas gets caught up thinking he knows best, thinking he can control the situation. 
doing so betrays Jesus and is left saying, I had no idea. I had no idea. And then the trials. Aren't the trials of Jesus not just a demonstration of how injustice works, but also don't they provide us the conviction of what human understanding and presumption looks like too? They seem to say, this is what people who think they know what to do with Jesus end up doing. Whether we're thinking about the trials before the Jewish religious leaders, the religious powers, or whether we're thinking about the trial before Herod or the trial before Pilate, they all seem to come to a place where they are confrontations with ignorance, with people who, even though they should recognize that they are at the limit of their understanding, are unwilling to admit that and instead use their power to cover their ignorance. And ain't that the way it goes? Because we humans would much rather be seen as powerful than as stupid. And is there anything more dangerous than a stupid, powerful person? The emperor has no clothes, but don't tell him. You don't want to be the one to say it. His power will come for you if it is embarrassed by the revelation of its own ignorance. Pilate is even confronted by his wife who at one point has a dream in which she's told, stay away from this guy, right? And she comes to Pilate and says, look, I have been told that you don't want to have, to have anything to do. What is she really saying? She's saying, Pilate, you don't know what you're dealing with here. The Gospel of John has Pilate saying that crazy phrase, and what is truth, right? where he seems to have be confronted with a choice that will force him to declare something that is true, yet he can't reach for it. At every step along the way, whether we're thinking about the prayers in the garden, the betrayal or the trials, or the mockery that we talked about last week, isn't the mockery when the soldiers are gathering around him, isn't it full of the irony when they say, hail king of the Jews, right? Because they think that they know that they are just attacking and mocking someone who has put themselves up but really has no power. And the, the only reason that text reads with the thick irony that it does is because we all know that Jesus really is the king, right? So at every step along the way, 
in the prayers in the garden, in the betrayals, through the trials, into the mockery, every step on the way of the cross traces the path of ignorance. Jesus could not have been crucified by people that really knew. But there wasn't anybody that really knew. There were just people who thought they did. Today, as we read just a little bit further into the story, read with me in Luke chapter 23. And beginning in verse 32, we are finally set to read the actual story of the crucifixion. And Luke's version goes like this. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is the moment of crucifixion, just a word. They crucified Jesus, right? And then the revelation, the understanding from Jesus' own lips that even while it was being done, the very act, the act of crucifixion comes through ignorance. It comes in the space where people who are just doing their job have no idea what's really happening. Now, I say all this about the cross because the great temptation for us is to busy ourselves with trying to figure everything out in this story. And I would love to have that sermon where I make clear for you the 13 points about the cross that will make it all make sense. That's not next week's sermon. I'm just giving you a heads up, okay? Because the cross defies human desire to seize and grasp and control by knowing. The whole story of the cross, in fact, is that it is our presumption of understanding that created the situation to start with. And so the part of what's happening with the cross is that it is warning us and saying, be careful. Be careful with knowledge. 
Now, that's not to say we shouldn't seek to understand. That's not to say we shouldn't reach for wisdom. That's not to say we shouldn't try to figure things out. But it is just to say that all of those works come with a warning label. I... I actually love understanding. I love trying to figure things out. I love learning. I really honestly do. I love that it's one of the foundation stones of our community that we have classes, okay? That we go to learn things with each other. I learned things in our class this morning that Brian was teaching. Um, the, uh, I guess 20, I'm not, I, I lose track of which groups are combined with which groups. The 20s and 40s groups I think were combined today. And I, I love that part of our discipline is seeking understanding with each other. I love uh, my Thursday morning class with our, our encouragers uh, that we're, we're working through Genesis together and we're trying to see, we want to understand, we want to come out of that class knowing a little bit more than we did when we first started. I think that's valuable. I think it's important. I think growing in our understanding shapes us and changes us. In fact, I think that's, Part of the discipline of acknowledging our in ignorance that we are constantly saying to our, uh, each other, there is always something more to learn today. I try to learn something every time I'm here. I try to learn. I know I'm talking. I try to learn, <laughs> not just for myself talking. Uh, Mark, the, the little tip that you gave today, like, where have I seen this before in the text? That is a wonderful way to approach the study of Scripture. Wonderful way to approach the Scripture. We're gonna, that, that Thursday morning class is going to get tired of hearing that. Okay, We're going to use it every week. I want to learn. I want to grow. I've spent an enormous part of my life trying to study the Scriptures. But it always comes... With this warning label attached, be careful about thinking you've got it all figured out. When uh, Shane and I did our master's together, we got done with our master's study over in Memphis at um, the Harding Graduate School of Religion, now the Harding School of Theology. We got done with that. And they gave us this degree. They gave us a piece of paper, said, you have achieved the degree of master of divinity. How stupid is that? I mean, that is a great joke. <laughs> Tygen, are you MDiv or MA? Yeah, that's good for you. Master of divinity. Come on. You went through all those classes and you think that you are, you have missed the point in stunning fashion. The knowledge that we receive, the understanding that we reach for, the wisdom that we gain, all of it can only be held with the knowledge that we have so much more to learn and grasp. There are so many things that we are just not ready to perceive yet by our own maturity. There are so many things that we will finally have to wait 
so God can speak them to us or show them to us in some definitive moment in the last day. I'm going with lots of questions and I fully expect them all disappear in a moment. And some of my biggest questions are questions about the cross, about what was really happening there that day. And yet the part of the cross story that resonates with me the very most might just be this line that Jesus says about the Roman soldiers. Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. And if I see myself anywhere in this story, it's with the people that don't know what they're doing. That understand that they really don't quite understand. At the end of the day, the cross is not understood, it is beheld. And we're there not necessarily because we have all the things figured out, but because we know that there is something more to perceive and to receive at the cross. In Mark's version of the story, Mark finishes essentially the crucifixion story of Jesus by having the most unlikely character. One of those ignorant soldiers speak these words. Beginning in verse 37, Jesus gave a loud cry and he breathed his last and the curtain was of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, when the centurion, the soldier, right, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was God's son. Because apparently in that last moment, as Jesus breathed his last, Peter stepped up and said, now, centurion. Let us talk about the theology of the atonement. Let us explain to you what is happening, the difference between expiation and propitiation. Let me tell you what all of this must mean in the grand scheme of history. Let me go back and share with you all the minutiae of the, what will soon be called the Old Testament, system of sacrifices. Let me make sure that you understand everything that we have heard from Sinai up until this moment. John hustled over and said, ah, I've also had some sermon notes myself I'd like to share. And I'd like to share about what it means for this to be a ransom that now pays for our sins before God. No. What happened in that moment? is he stood there and he, the text says he stood facing Jesus. Saw it. He beheld it. Now, I imagine he didn't just throw up his hands after that and say, oh, well, must have been something weird. 
I imagine that he sought understanding. Goodness, I imagine he craved it, right? But the cross didn't become meaningful to this centurion because of all the things, the, the facts that he had learned about it. It was because he beheld Jesus, the Son of God, crucified. Paul says similar things in the beginning of 1 Corinthians when he talks about how the, the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews, but it is foolishness to the Greeks. He talks about how but the wisdom of God is stronger than human foolishness, or the foolishness of God is stronger than human wisdom, rather. And the weakness of God is stronger than human power. He says in the beginning of chapter two of first Corinthians, he says that because of all that, because of how all this stuff looks crazy and can't get figured out and it's elusive from a wisdom perspective, he says at the end of that, and therefore I resolve to know nothing before you, the Corinthian church, nothing before you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Just here as somebody who has beheld the crucified son of God, beheld the cross. As we come to Jesus and follow him on the way of the cross, we will constantly, we will constantly be confronted with the limits of what we might understand and what we can grasp. But at the end of the day, it's not what we can grasp and understand that makes the difference. We cannot explain the cross, but we bear witness to it. We come and say this, this act of surrender before God holds all of the meaning that we cannot yet articulate. This, I think, at the end, is what it means to be people who follow Jesus together and who follow him as people who bear the name Christians. It is to be people not who are just armed with all of the right explanations, but people who are willing to bear witness to the cross. We believe that there is something there, and maybe we can Articulate it differently in different days, okay? But there is something about the cross of Jesus that is our salvation and is, as paradoxical, as paradoxical as it may be, is our guide to what it means to live the good life before God. We are called to live even out past the limits of our understanding out into that space that we have to call faith. This is where the cross calls us. Would you stand with me? I want us to pray. We end today. In our prayer, I want us to just submit ourselves to being people who bear witness to the cross. Let's pray together. Oh God, 
It is not difficult for us see in our imagination the cross. It is not too hard for us to see with our imagination your son crucified. But it is mighty difficult for us to understand it. God, may we willingly trade our understanding for witness. May we see and bear witness. This the crucified one, we pray. Amen.